you're listening to Science Boobies, culturally insensitive quantum physics and space-time stuff. With your hosts Jen and Brian and some more special guests. You can learn more at laser.yoga slash science boobies. That's right, I said boobies. Today we'll be talking about the holographic universe with my old co-host, Brian. So Brian will be joining us in about um, 15 minutes to talk about this. He'll be able to talk us through the theory and we'll give different ideas and ask some questions about it. But uh, before that, we'll have just a bit of a preamble. Uh, So yeah, the holographic universe, from what I can tell, it's one of those theories that has a couple of different interpretation. It's a principle of string theories that is supposed property of quantum gravity. In- God, could you make it any more complicated? Jesus. <laughs> it's so nice to hear your voice again, Brian. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> my, my pleasure. My pleasure. So I'd like to introduce you to Elliot. He's my co-host, uh, the next person brave enough to actually be willing to uh, have a show with me. Brian is... Elliot, the- I- <laughs> He's Hi, Elliot, Brian. I would Hi, Elliot. I would advise you to get um, a bottle of uh, Xanax and uh, a blender okay. and uh, some yogurt, and that's what you should have right now. <laughs> uh, is that an inside joke? <laughs> Doing quite no, I just think you should get those things. That's all. <laughs> okay. Is, do you know what a so, Zandy bar is? Oh, okay. anyway. A Zandy bar? Yeah. No, I never heard of that. It's when you like grind up Xanax and then snort it like cocaine. <laughs> wow, this show's really uh, taking a turn already. I've That's never, awesome. I know, I've never done that. I saw it in a movie. I heard it in a movie. That's great. Okay. So anyway, um, a little bit of trivia. Yeah, yeah. right, I'm gonna bow out. Here I this, am. this topic, this topic is way like over my head. I'm just gonna ask new questions, perhaps, but I'm gonna sure, mostly go listen. For it. Yeah, actually, Brian, if you could maybe give us a quick overview, because I labeled the show The Holographic Universe, um, and we wanted to talk about that and ask you questions. So if you could just give us a quick overview of your sort of, I I mentioned the word metaphysical aesthetic, but basically, like, what got you into thinking about this stuff, slash what made you decide, well, also, what is The Holographic Universe, and what made you decide that that was the preferable model? Okay. Um... Well, that's, that's a lot of questions, so uh, I'll start off by saying um, I like to search for universal answers or answers to everything, something that works for everyone, and uh, obviously you, you cannot find that in any kind of religion or any political organization, because everyone seems to splinter their different ideas around the world, and you have 10,000 different people and 10,000 different governments and 10,000 different points of view. So trying to find out something that's universal, so I turned to science hoping for objectivity and the scientific method and proof and things like that. Well, if you go there, you try to find your universality. You have, uh, you have Einstein's theories, you have relativity, you have the search for unified theory. And, and even there, you get splinters of different conflicting theories. Then you get into quantum physics and you get into uh, photons that are split up and then keep talking to each other and then you want and you compare you compare how photons that are um, 
that are joined, uh, how they communicate with each other over, over vast distances. You compare that to how things that we know in our own life react. And if I, if I throw a football down a field, I can't throw it to myself because I can't run that fast. I'd have to physically run faster than the football. But what um, what entangled particles like photons do itself, the obvious laws of physics. So how's that possible? You just cut out for well, a quick second, Brian. Can you just restart that sure. sentence? You just quick cut cut out a tiny bit. So so um, photons that are entangled can talk to each other faster than the speed of light. Well, how's that possible? Uh, it would be like me throwing a football and then catching it myself. In other, words, in other words, throwing it down a field and then catching it, which violates the laws of physics. You can't do that. However, in the quantum world, you can. So trying to relate that to, to our macro world that we live in with big objects and, and uh, cars and trucks and automobiles and stuff, the only equivalent we have is a video game. And I say that because with a video game, you can see a screen, and you can see two people on a field in a, in, a, in a video game, one throwing the football to the other. And really, there is no distance there. The, electro, the, the uh, electrical impulses that are creating the first avatar in the video game are, the, are in the exact same place as the electrical signals that are creating the second avatar, the catching, the, the catching of football, it's the same place that the electronics or the uh, electrical impulses of the football that's getting thrown. All these things are in the same place. They're in the CPU. Yet on the screen, it looks like they're going over vast distances. So like that, it seems as if all intention, all movement, really isn't going from one place to the other. It's just it's being controlled from a central location. So you wonder that simulates like a video game. Well, what else is similar? Well, the fact that if you look at a video game, if you look at a screen, you see these beautiful landscapes and you see uh, different settings that video games are, are, are written in. But if you take a magnifying glass and you dig really deep, everything's just pixelated. Everything's just these little impulses of electrons. Well, we also live in a pixelated world. We take an orange and we magnify it until we see the cell, magnify it further until we see the, the molecules, magnify it further until we see the atoms, magnify it further until we see the protons and electrons, and, and, that's, and, and, then, and then you have the elementary subatomic particles, uh, quarks, things like that. But you're never really getting down to like where there's nothing. You're always getting these tiny particles that are building on everything else, almost like we're seeing the actual pixels of existence. So in that way, people that create, not didn't create theory, but that popularize the theory of the holographic universe, say everything here, everything in this universe is in a pixelated form coming from a central location, like a hologram, that when light is shown through it, then projects a reality into space. So people that believe in the holographic universe believe that everything that we see in this 3D world, it comes from a 2D type of hologram 
with energy being sent through it. And we are the hologram. So that, and that, that makes sense to me because back to the entangled protons or, or photons, the only possible way that two photons that are entangled can talk to each other over vast distances isn't because they're sending a signal from one photon to the other. It's because there, is, there really isn't a distance. It's an illusion or a hologram. That's the end of my spiel for the beginning. Thanks very much for sharing, Brian. We really appreciate that. So I just kind of want to pick apart what you said a little bit because Elliot doesn't have any experience with this stuff, but he is interested in learning, um, basically just learning in general. So let's start with the idea of entanglement. Elliot, is that something you've ever heard of before? No, I mean, I'd probably in some form, but no, I can't give you, I mean, I think I know what it means, but not formally, no. All right, I'll explain it to you. So, okay, go ahead. So, entangled particles and some items larger than particles, but we'll, we'll simplify and just say some particles, like photons. A photon is just um, like an atom of light. Just think of it as a, a subatomic particle of light. Of light. You, you can take a photon, and scientists can take a photon and use, let's just call it magic, to then split that photon, which are entangled, meaning that they share the same DNA. They share the same movements. They're entangled. They're basically connected, so to speak, by wires, even though there's no wires. So if you tug on one photon, you can see the other photon being tugged. It's like if you and Jen had a rope between you and you had a rope between each arm, between, like, there was a rope wrapped around Jen's arm and a rope wrapped around Elliot's arm, and Jen went to reach for a can of Pepsi, you would see Elliot's arm move as well because Jen's arm reaching for the Pepsi is affecting Elliot's arm. That, so you two would be entangled. So these particles are entangled. But the weird part is you could take these two entangled photons, you could place one here on Earth and one at the edge of the universe, and you could nudge the photon here on Earth and the photon at the edge of the universe will nudge at the exact same time. So that's entanglement. So just to give um, the the, uh, experimental basis for this, Elliot, so entanglement is a theory. And when you come up with a theory in science, you go about testing it. So basically what entanglement means is that although two systems appear to be separate, they are in the same quantum potential. So what they've been able to observe fairly recently, I think this was actually some Chinese researchers, and maybe Brian can back me up if he's heard of it, but basically they had some photons that were polarized a certain way, and they changed the polarization on one, and then they noticed that the polarization on the other changed, even though it wasn't actually the system being operated on. I think it might have been electrons, actually. Like it was you could say they were nudged, to use a, a, a dumbed-down language. They nudged one, and the other one moved, basically. <clears throat> and there's only two explanations for that. Either, one, there's some method of, of, of sending and receiving data, which is infinitely faster than the speed of light, which violates all laws of physics, or there isn't really communication because they're coming from the same place, which although on the surface that would sound like a violation of laws of physics, it actually just opens the door to, to like, the what ultimately is reality. 
that we're all coming from the same place, and this is simply a projection of that place. The same way that if something falls into a black hole, if something falls into a black hole, correct, and this may be more in uh, mind, but um, if I toss a sandwich into a black hole, uh, that sandwich, all the particles in that sandwich then get spread out into the black hole via some infinite length and breadth and width or whatever, so that a 3D sandwich becomes 2D in the black hole. Is that you know what I'm talking about, Jim? I'm kind of lost as to why a black hole uh-huh. is two-dimensional. I'm, I'm just not clear on why a black hole is two-dimensional. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah. Okay, so maybe I misread some things, but I heard that when a 3D object enters a black hole, or a 2D object, because everything in a black hole, if you could go into a black hole and look at it, everything is visible in 2D. Now, this is based on me hearing one lecturer speak, and maybe isn't actually canon, but well, let's skip that for now, because I'm not too well versed on it. But basically, if you have a hologram, and you have a flashlight, the hologram has all the data you need for what it wants to create. Let's just say it's an apple, a picture of an apple. If you shine the light through that, that lens or that, that, that screen, a real apple shows up in space. But that real apple in, like, in the screen isn't an apple. It's only real or it's only discernible as an apple in the hologram. But every part of that apple comes from the same place. Just like people that believe in the holographic universe believe all this, everything we see, all this matter, all this energy actually comes from one place. And I'll make it even weirder. Some people think it's this, it's one superpositioned electron that creates the entire universe. That I think kind of crazy myself, but, but that everything comes from the same place and you can call that God or intention or the universal programmer or whatever. You can call it, uh, Asgard or whatever, but it's uh, about that the all... periodic table of quantum doom. The periodic, the periodic table of quantum doom is a great reference tool. <laughs> I highly recommend it. And, um, hey. but basically, basically, the walls and floor and ceiling of the rooms you're in right now don't exist. Because if you dig deep into the particles, there's nothing there. It's all air. It doesn't exist. So how do they exist? It has to be because there's a rule that says the wall exists. Well, the rule has to come from somewhere. And since we're governed, and since we also need to be governed by the same laws of physics, that place must be singular. And that's another reason why holographic universe proponents think it all comes from the same so the idea is basically that there's a singular kernel functioning in the projector generating the universe yeah. which yeah. has we don't know what the kernel is or what the projector is but it's, yeah we believe i think there. i think that's what people would ask about this theory is where is this projector and how would you establish that it exists or are you saying basically by the very definition like the video game characters have no way of establishing that they're in a video game no, they don't know. And likewise, we don't know either. 
I mean, Sonic the Hedgehog has no idea that he's in a video game. And thus, neither neither we. Now, that's just my analogy. What do you think of all this, Elliot? Uh, it's trippy, dude. Uh, <laughs> how can this be applied, right? Can this be applied, or is this just simply... Yeah, um... it, it can absolutely be applied in the real world. Um, and this is how. When you're looking at the universe through a telescope, and you're wondering how far away something is, and you're thinking to yourself, the universe is so infinitely large, we're never going to explore it. And there's all these worlds that we're never going to see, Right? Well, you wonder how it is that we see this stuff, and, and you wonder, is it meant just for us to see? And the reason I say that is because of the, back to the quantum experimentation. They, and I forget the name of this test, but it, it's something, there's the double slit experiment, which I'm sure Jen is very well versed in. Um, as trippy as a double foot experiment is where they take particles and shoot them through a hole in a wall and whether you're looking at it or not determines how the particles act. As trippy as that is, as insane as that is, there's something even further, which is so insane, so difficult to comprehend that, and I told Jen this during one of our episodes, if you were able to fully comprehend this, your brain would, would simply evaporate. Um, and, Help me with this experiment, Jen, because I'm actually in a car. I can't um, type it out, but uh, it's like it's it, it it's what the double slit experiment led to, which is where they uh, they send entangled particles through this series of mirrors, and then they can record whether these particles were were uh, were particles or waves, and then if they look at the data, it's one way. If they destroy the data, it's another way. Only us observing the test results changes the results. And if that's true, that has to mean that everything we see changes based on observation. So all these vast galaxies we see out in the universe have to come from our observation. Therefore, if you look at the moon, we see it out there. It's only there because our observation is detecting it. We detect the, how it affects the tides on Earth, and everyone on Earth can see it. If no one could detect the way it affected the Earth via the gravitational pull, if no, if no one could see the moon, if the moon didn't act observably on anything else around it in the solar system, there would be absolutely no evidence of its, of its existence. Therefore, I believe it wouldn't exist based on the fact that, the, that observation can change, can change reality. So if observation can change reality in the quantum world, and you believe it can change it in the macro world, then the sun, the moon only exists if you look at it, to say it shortly, to say it, you know, frankly. And this is where Jen, this is where Jen thinks I get weird. Um, just to go back to what you said a bit earlier, because I want to clarify exactly what is meant by entanglement, because it actually does have a lot of applications, because the mind is a quantum computer and therefore can become entangled. Um, yes, yes, absolutely. And that explains telepathy, by the way. And that it actually, explains- it actually does. I can get, I can, I can get a link that talks about that, and I will post it in the chat in a minute. But yeah, I just wanted to talk about this experiment you mentioned, sure. the mirrors. 
So, Elliot, the way that it works is they had a, a system that was entangled, and part of it was uh, moved away geometrically from another part via reflection through mirrors. And then at one end of the, the mirror maze, they did something to the system, which then caused the entire system to change state. So the, In other words, the present changed the past. Well, the idea basically in that is that you have faster than light uh, information, like information, i.e. the waveform collapsing or changing phase. Um, information is traveling faster than the speed of light, which would uh, appear to violate... Yeah, and I gotta, yeah, I, I gotta interrupt you there. It's, it's clearly not traveling faster than the speed of light. That would be the slowest way to travel, so to speak. What do you mean the slowest way to travel? The slowest way to travel between two points is to go faster than the speed of light. The fastest way is to simply not travel, is to know that both locations are in the same place. <laughs> you have communication between two particles at either end of the universe. Uh, it reminds me of a story where some guy had to make a fence or something, and he drew it around himself for some... I forget the moral of the story, but that's what it reminds me of. <laughs> yeah, there, there is actually some truth to what Brian's saying. The, the conclusions aren't all the right ones, but the idea of entanglement is true. It's just that entanglement can only happen for quantum systems that are in potential, and potential has to do with the phase. So, so when something is solid, it doesn't have any potential to change phase unless right. you change the actual state variables of the system. Like I can melt an ice cube and then turn it into water. But if, if I just have an ice cube and I don't do anything to it and it's in a closed system, then it will just remain an ice cube and it won't change uh, shape. Nothing will happen to it for the rest of time. So when something is... In absolute zero, that's technically a closed system because nothing's moving, which is the same as if it were isolated from the rest of reality. Yeah, it's just a um, it's just a thought experiment. I'm, I'm just trying to make the link between the quantum stuff and the physical stuff because... I don't think it's. I don't think you can really establish that quantum effects dictate the physical world that we experience because we, we don't have any evidence to support that. There's a reason for that, but there's a reason for that, Jeff. Okay, so let's say there's another thought experiment. Let's say the holographic universe is based on some universal intention or some greater reality, intelligent reality that's beyond our comprehension, right? Assuming they wouldn't want us to know this is a holographic universe, or, or wouldn't want it to be apparent, you can't have entanglement at a macro level, because then it would be obvious. But whoever designed the universe or reality, if, if there is a designer, they weren't perfect. And maybe they meant it to be found at some point, but when living things like humans were smart enough to dig deep into, into the subatomic particle world and to, and to actually do the double slit experiment, the evidence is right there that there is some, there's some intention behind the way particles act. So either the intention intends <laughs> for us to find out that it's a hologram or it's a fault in the system where they didn't hide it well enough. My that that, sorry, go ahead. My personal theory is that we're meant to find out. And I think it, 
it's one of the things that the, that whoever or whatever designed this wanted to know if people would ever find out. Like, we play Sonic the Hedgehog long enough, is Sonic going to look at us through the screen and go, am I real? So doesn't that imply that there's a god or at least some type of creator entity that programmed this simulation? Uh, so wait, when we say holograph, is, is holographic universe the same as simulation universe, or are those two things different? Yes, it's exactly the same thing. Simulation, okay. uni- simulation universe is actually a misnomer. Simulation implies, implies that <laughs> you're simulating something uh, that's more real than itself. But actually, the hologram is reality. So I like to call it the holographic universe instead of the simulation theory. Plus, Elon Musk says simulation theory, and I think he's a big dildo, so I don't like to use the same terminology he does. You don't like Elon Musk? Correct. Why not? He was talking about simulation theory. He said he actually hoped that the universe was a simulation because that way we could reset it. Well, yeah, but he doesn't understand that we're on the we're on the hologram side, not the, uh, not the holographic plate or screen side. We have no control over it. We have no control over how the hologram works. We can detect the rules, but we can't actually change anything. Just like an app, if I create a hologram of a person and activate it through a screen uh, and a flashlight, and this holographic person is in the air, the holographic person, even if it became intelligent, can't affect the actual energy and screen that created the hologram. It can simply just exist there. An entirely different reality created the hologram. So, no, I'm not talking about God, because if if the holographic universe is real, and there's some universal intention behind it, and there's a greater, more real reality than we could ever conceive that's out there, and we're only in a hologram, but beyond that, in the area of reality, or let's just call it super-reality, where this hologram was created, where you couldn't even describe it, that and who or whatever dwells there, and if there's some intention there to create the hologram, I hate using the word God, but there has to be some universal intention behind creating the hologram. In other words, someone had to create the hologram. And who or what that is will always remain a mystery. But, well, it just seems like your, your explanation even though you're an atheist, it does seem to imply an intelligent creator because uh, who, who made the rules in this universe? Like if, if the universe, if the laws in this universe aren't universal, then, or if the laws in this quote hologram aren't uh, universal, then what, what laws dictated the creation or the evolution of this person that, or entity that created the hologram we exist in? Well, um, I don't speak for all atheists, and I hate the label atheist, but a true atheist, and I'll, I'll argue this with any atheist, a true atheist would accept the existence of a universal programmer or universal intention if the evidence was there to prove it. A true atheist would accept the scientific method and believe something that is true based on evidence. Um, they believe that their phone bill is due because they get a bill each month saying your phone bill is due. They base their beliefs on on repeatable, observable evidence, or at least observable, contestable evidence. So if we could test, if we have to, at this point, what quantum physicists have discovered 
it's not proof of God, but it's hints. It's hints and kernels of evidence that that say we have to dig further. There's something worth digging. There's evidence of a possibility of some universal intention. It's not quite God yet, but the evidence is there that there's something intelligent. There is a rule that, not a rule, there's enough of an intention with subatomic particles that they can decide to do things on their own, irrespective of how we feel. So that has to come from something. What that something is, we don't know. What do you think about that, Elliot? <clears throat> am I like a little? Am I, I follow. I, I follow the outlines. Yeah. Um, I mean, these ideas all have parallels in religion, right? So I, I don't understand why it needs to be like physics-based or mechanical, right? You're, you're telling, what I'm gleaning is, is that there's certain, like, there's that the physical world has aspects that seem that intertwine with consciousness. Like, sorry, the, every, any sentence I try to say here is all bound up in cosmic sounding language it's hard to make an intelligible sentence so okay. but but like so why a pro, i mean it's like a programmer a cosmic programmer is just as what's the difference between a cosmic programmer and god i mean at what point i'll do tell we you mean? what the difference is elliot i'll tell you All what the right. difference is is that we know nothing about the cosmic programmer, nor can we make any assumptions about the cosmic programmer, other than the cosmic <laughs> programmer may be an explanation for the intelligence of subatomic particles. Unlike religion, <clears throat> where you create a god and you make all these rules and have a book that determines how people live and what they can and can't do, and all these rituals, and hey, let's, uh, let's invade this, this country and let's kill all these people because God told us to. That's the difference. No one's invading a country because of a double foot experiment. No one's invading a country because of the double slit experiment yet. Yet. Excuse me. Yet. <laughs> yet. And if that were the case, I guarantee you that Jen would be sitting on a tank with a helmet on yelling charge. <laughs> but wait a second. People don't invade countries because of religion. They invade, they invade countries, countries because they are controlled resources. by leaders. Yeah. No, they are controlled by leaders that use their religion as an excuse. They say, God wants us yeah. to have that oil. Well, if, if they didn't believe in anything except if it was factual truth, they wouldn't be able to say, God wants you to kill the infidels. They'd have to say, well, I, as your leader, just personally want you to kill the infidels, which is not nearly as compelling, and people wouldn't do it. All right. I feel like we're really we're 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 crossing categories here. Like, Elliot had a big debate yesterday, and I thought it was an awesome debate. I really loved, like, in terms of Duvid's take, where he's talking about the balance between ethos, pathos, and logos. I thought that was an awesome debate that we could like study from that angle. So maybe Elliot's uh, just a little. 
tired today, so uh, I am. I am a bit tired, so I. Uh, we love you, I, Ellie. We, we really. I feel like I feel like I really need to sit sit in the corner with a dunce cap because, <laughs> it, like, these ideas, like, I still can't even tell you what I. I don't even understand what entanglement means. I'm still at that level. Like, what does it mean for one photon to be entangled with another, but yet not entangled with a third photon? This is just. I don't get it. Explain. It means well, okay. they, share, they share the same potential function. They're basically clone. You could say they're clones, but they're more than clones. They're they're Siamese twins. How about that? They're Siamese twins. They're connect. They're two photons that are connected at the hip. Okay, so all photons come in pairs. Is that what I'm hearing? No, no. But you can take you can take it, entangled particles exist in nature naturally, but you. Scientists can create them artificially, and they do this, and I'm oversimplifying it, by uh, taking a photon and running it through like a quartz crystal or some other type of crystal, and that naturally splits it in two, but creates two entangled particles. Okay, so an entangled photon is a single photon that's been somehow split. That is one way to create two entangled particles, correct, yes. Is there, what's the other way? The other way, well, I'm sure there's other ways scientists create them. That's what I know of, and then there's also entangled particles in nature that occur so, naturally. But, but we know that they're actually split and not two separate photons. No, they are two separate photons. When you split a photon, you you get two photons, but they're entangled. But are they are they? Do photons have mass? <laughs> That's, Jen's the math uh, the math expert. Jen, does photon have mass? Photons do not have mass. Photons are the micro, they're the um, atom of light. They're the quantum of light. So light, just as the light we experience day to day has no mass, an individual photon, think of a photon as an indivisible unit of light. These are uh, electromagnetic entities that travel at the speed of light, which I mentioned before was uh, approximately three times 10 to the power of 8 meters. Or, but, but, but you just said indivisible, right? That they can't be split. And then I'm hearing that if to be entangled, you can split a photon and create... You're not splitting it, you're creating two out of one, which I know it sounds like something different. Oh, by the way, Jen, um, if you're so smart, why don't you explain to Elliot how a photon with no mass can be affected by a black hole? Aw, shit. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, I have my own, as, as you both know, I have my own universal field model. So the laws in my model are that gravity acts on all waveforms. So gravity, well, acts on, gravity acts on massive waveforms as well as massless waveforms. So that's why photons are subject to bending in the presence of a large enough gravitational field. How convenient. Okay. Yeah, I made the laws to conform to what's observed. That's the way you're supposed to do it. All right. So, but that is, is that, that's a heretical view from the viewpoint of orthodox physics, well, right? No, yeah, but Elliot, um, Jen specifically thinks that orthodox physics is heretical. So there's that too. <laughs> Okay. Uh, if you, if you oh, Jen. Her, All right, Jen. So if you ask what? Her, 
her model is is the true model, and the standard model is heretical. The standard okay. model is not one hundred percent false. I, I'm not I'm not okay. throwing everything out in the standard model. There are things in the standard model that I accept. It's just that the greater um, philosophical ideal behind the standard model, i.e. the idea that all interactions are mediated by photonic entities, i.e. gravitons and photons, uh, I, I don't accept that part. Okay, so you're saying that photons can be impacted or non... Okay, a photon has no mass, yet it can be affected by gravity, i.e. large black holes. And so that's, that's where I stop. So that's the heretical, that's the view that's not, that's, so the conventional view from physics is that can happen. That a photon must happen. Well, well, it it does happen because a photon has mass, but Jen is saying that a photon has no mass, but can still be impacted by gravity. Correct. Well, I think Einstein actually is the one who demonstrated that because of uh, what they call gravitational lensing. He was able to establish that light from the sun was bending around the moon. Pretty sure. And, and honestly, Elliot, if you ask me, nothing has mass. Nothing. Mass is a mass is a is a um, the fucking social construct. Mass is a fucking mental, social construct. I was gonna say I was gonna say mental construct, but since mass is a social construct. That'd be a good bumper sticker, Jim. <laughs> I think you should definitely add that to your to your store, your online store. That would be a bestseller. Mass is a social construct. I'm totally gonna make a T-shirt like that. Oh my god! You will succeed in pissing off more people than me with a bumper sticker. Like that. <laughs> awesome! <Like laughs> That's no pretty likes. impressive. If it's okay with you guys, I'm going to invite Duvid on. Duvid is a scholar who's really interested in uh, lots of different types of things. We had a stream a while back about the quantum mind, so I, I'd love to hear his thoughts on it. So if it's okay with you guys, I'm just going to shoot him a DM with the... Uh, sure. I, I think this stream is ripe for some Duvidism. Um, is it esoteric Duvidism or branch? Are we branch Duvidian? Uh, this is esoteric. Branch uh, Duvidian. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, you'll love this guy. He's he's such a character. Like he and I will agree on stuff when literally nobody else fucking agrees because he has the same problem as me. Like he's very intellectual, so people don't always hear what what it is that he's saying. So they'll like latch on to one thing that he said and sort of extrapolate yeah. this other kind of I just sent him a link to the study. I had that in my... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but he he has a way of talking that is really calm, and I think it, it kind of unnerves people for the same reason that I unnerve people, but he has a lot of really interesting perspectives, and he has done more scientific research in some areas than I've seen from anyone else, so he, he's kind of like a library. Like Sometimes I just like to have him there for the stuff that I can't bring myself to memorize because he's he knows so much yeah so sorry about that dude but i sent you the wrong link i meant to send you the hang a link and i sent you the science alert link so come on on anytime oh we can see you now brian hey you're looking good how's winter treating you um um 
It's uh, <laughs> it's what? It's friggin' cold, and I hate it. And I hate it. Well, you're in February now, and that's like literally the worst month because it's like you're pretty far north. Like I was in Ottawa, and sometimes you'll get actually literally snow in May there. Um, but but yeah, February's rough because it's like oh god, we still have another month at least of this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Please welcome uh, hey, Goofin well, hey. to to the chat. Thanks a lot for joining. Nice to see you. Thank you uh, we have Thank Elliot. You we have Elliot, who you already know, and this is Brian, who I used to host a um, a podcast with a few years ago, and we we talked a lot about science. And today, Brian's talking to us about the holographic universe. Yeah, I found well, that interesting. Go ahead, interesting. Do it, do it, and and just uh, chime in with any of your thoughts. Yeah, I found that interesting. That's something I've been researching on, um, specifically related to consciousness. And uh, I've been watching this series by Stephen Robbins on uh, Bergson's holographic theory. And I, I guess uh, Bergson's already more than 120 years ago, but it uh, you already pre-posed the precursors of today's your modern holographic theory. And uh, you know, interesting subject. Are, are you familiar with Bergson or, or Robbins? I am not. I'm yeah, surprised I'm big, this I'm theory's big, been I'm around big. for so long. Could you just give us a bit of a background on it, please? You talking to me? It's something faded out there. Oh yeah, I was just going to ask us. Uh, well, I was commenting saying that I was surprised that it had been around for so long, and then asking if you could give us a quick uh, introduction to what exactly that theory states. Oh, I'll put a series of things in the chat here. Stephen Robbins. Uh, I'm putting this directly into the YouTube chat, so I'm, I'm not sure if you're also watching. Uh, um, let me just pop up a uh, Wikipedia on. Uh, Berg, on Bergson. Could I interrupt just for a second um, for two things? Please. One, um, I want to I want to plug my website, um, laser.yoga. Please visit it. All my books and movies are there. Um, and the second thing is, um, unfortunately, I must bow out early from this uh, podcast as I have to get um, milk and eggs for my family. So um, uh, I am going to be leaving this subatomic universe of this hangout and uh, go into uh, quote-unquote macro reality. Wish me luck. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Brian. Really appreciate it. And thanks also for hosting our podcast. I know it, it takes a lot of um, a lot of bravery to uh, talk to me on stream, so I really appreciate you giving me a platform. And please do check out Brian's website. He's got a lot of merch there that's uh, really fun. And he's always supported me, so I really appreciate that. I know it's hard to support me because a lot of people um, aren't too crazy about my ideas, but if we can look at the ideas together, maybe we can all gain a better understanding. And we're looking forward to seeing you again sometime on the show, Brian. Take care. Thanks again. Thanks. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. This podcast is hosted by Jen and Brian and was recorded using the Internet, which is a series of tubes. Copyright to Intentional Sharfing Media Cartel. Music by Bent Sound. You can learn more at laser.yoga slash science boobies. That's right, I said boobies.